Mr. Hayes, thanks so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Well, you know, I, I, I'm glad you're asking me. I want to talk about your career a bit uh, and then come into some of your more popular cases, some of your positions on various topics. You began your career as a prosecutor. How'd that happen? Well, <laughs> I was a terrible law student. And basically, I got a job as an assistant district attorney uh, because that was the only really good job that was available to me. And then I got into homicide because the head of homicide had been Jewish and the guy that replaced him was an Irish Catholic. And he, he didn't really trust anybody but other Irish Catholics. So I said to him, then, uh, Kevin, I want to be in homicide. And the next day I was in homicide. That's, that's how that happened. How did criminal, how is criminal law litigation in the criminal law different now than it was in the 70s? Well, it's much different now because the, the government is able to reduce much stronger cases. But on the other hand, the state is still hampered by the suspicion of juries. Uh, so this, the federal prosecutions are much stronger. How difficult was it dealing with homicide victims in the Bronx back in the 70s? Oh, God, it was horrible. <laughs> I mean, you had so many people killed and you had so many people... Uh, uh, that suffered and so many family members that suffered. It was just, it was just brutal. I mean, it was so sad and so tragic. And of course, poor people are ones that suffer the most. And it was just, it was very difficult. I mean, I, I can remember times that I talked to uh, victims and I'd cry afterwards. What were some of your more memorable cases, if you recall? I had a couple of cases where children were killed. I remember them. I had some cases where, uh, stupid cases, a guy would go into a, a bodega and he'd want to rob it and he'd, he'd screw up and it'd fire a gun and somebody would get killed. And the next thing you know is some 18-year-old kid is charged with murder. It was just a horrible, it wasn't a horrible experience because I learned a lot, but it was horrible in terms of its social consequences. How has New York City changed uh, over those years? Well, it's changed a lot, and it's changed a lot for a couple of reasons. One is this ethnic makeup has changed dramatically. A lot more uh, immigrants from, uh, you know, uh, India and so forth, and the makeup of the police department has changed dramatically. The largest group in the police department is now Hispanic. The old days when it was Irish and Italian are, are kind of gone. What was the attitude back then towards prosecutors, towards police? How did that affect your job? Well, the, pro the jurors as a whole were very suspicious of the government. So you had to be conscious of that. But I'm very blunt speaking, and I think that helped me a lot. Uh, I say what's on my mind, and generally the jurors can tell that I'm saying that, and they, were, they listened to me. What makes a good trial lawyer? Ooh, I think that what makes a good trial lawyer is to focus on the strong parts of your case and talk to the jury. Remember that a jury is 12 people. Never talk down to them. Try to talk to about in terms that they can understand and uh, have some feelings. 
for the people that sat on the juries. I mean, I always looked at a jury as my mother. And my my mother was a working woman. She wrapped packages for all her life in Macy's. And I used to think that I was saying to myself, Eddie, you're talking to your mother. You've written about your upbringing in the past, your background. Uh, you wrote, what I can't stand is somebody slapping somebody around. I don't like that. My father was a bad alcoholic. How has that impacted your life? Well, I tell you the truth. Uh, it, ne it never left me. Uh, I don't like to see that. There's a lot of people in positions of power that think they can do whatever they want, and they can't. <laughs> they can't when I'm on the other side, I'll tell you that much. Is that why you went to law school? No, I went to law school because, I, you know, I don't know what my thinking was when I went to law school. I was a terrible law student, too. I was a terrible law student, uh, and I only got it. You know, it was the only thing I can do as a lawyer is go to court. And I cross-examine people. I'm very good at those two things. And I'm, I'm persuasive. In other words, uh, you know, people listen to me and they think this guy is saying what he thinks. And I try to say what I think and try to be right. And as my career has been people usually feel I am right. You went to Columbia. You keep saying you're a bad student, but you went to Columbia. It's one of the top schools in the country. Yeah. Uh, yeah, obviously, you were, you were to some degree academically gifted. How important is that to the practice of law? Not for, for me, it's not very important at all. For trial work, I think that the last thing you need is intellectual capacity. It's uh, the ability to talk to a jury. You got to know what a jury wants to hear. And that's what I think has always been my strong point. Why did you decide to leave the DA's office? Why? Money. Nothing more than that? Nothing more than that. Was it hard to transition from prosecutor to defense lawyer? No. I, it wasn't. I mean, uh, you, you just on the other side of the, the table. It, uh, it wasn't hard at all. The trial experience as I got as a DA in homicide was very useful because uh, you did learn how to talk to a jury and you know, learned that a jury was often very suspicious of the government and very suspicious of the uh, prosecutor. Why do defense lawyers have such a bad reputation? Because <laughs> they defend such terrible people. I mean, uh, you know, they, uh, they put themselves in a position where they're standing up for people that oh, are unpopular. Very unpopular. So I, I did not take certain kinds of cases. I would not take cases that affect, where, that affected children, where children were the victims. I did not take cases where women were the victims. So uh, that sort of protected me. I had an advantage that I was quite a good uh, guy at, at renovating buildings. And that sort of made up for the fact that I was pretty rigorous about not taking certain kinds of cases. I, you know, I, I guess really I got a lot of really big cases, some of the biggest cases in New York, uh, because um, of my personality. I think people trusted me and I, I was fairly blunt and I was right. I mean, uh, 
if I got up and said something, that people knew I was saying what I believed. You know, a lot is said about Eddie Hayes' ability to get business, quote unquote. You went into private practice right away on your own. How hard was it to become a businessman in the DA's office? You're not supposed to be a businessman. You're not required to be. Well, you know what? I didn't find it hard at all. Uh, I uh, I knew I naturally had an aptitude to ask people for money, and I usually collected. And you know, I, the other thing that I did was I called you. I called people back. And I call people back if it's even if it's eleven o'clock at night, so that they know I care. And I that was a big asset to me. How do you build a practice, a client base? Service. You, you, you got to produce. You got to be able to get results, and you got to be able to communicate uh, to the clients what you're doing for them. Is it more important to be a substantively good criminal lawyer? or a responsible yes. criminal lawyer? I think both. You, you, you have to be both. You have to be a combination of uh, substantive and uh, uh, client-oriented. Remember, you, generally speaking, you're dealing with people who are under a lot of pressure, who are afraid to go to jail, and uh, you have to um, make allowances for that. They're, they're frightened. Did you only anticipate ever sticking to criminal law or did you ever venture into civil in some way, shape or form? Well, over time, I went into civil uh, and now I do mostly civil. Uh, I, I went into civil because I thought that I could make money. And I did not realize that in some ways civil law was dirtier than, than criminal law. People will do anything for money. I'm telling you, it's very depressing betray each other, lie, and uh, that's it. Did you ever, uh, particularly in the 70s and 80s, venture, uh, venture into organized crime, take mob cases? Yes, some. I didn't take a lot. I didn't feel like I liked them. I, I just, my, one of my best friends was Bruce Cutler, and he had a big organized crime practice because he represented John Gotti. But I just didn't like those guys that much. And, uh, you know, they, it wasn't my style. And I represented police commissioners, governors, and I really couldn't represent them and uh, organized crime gangsters. You're very well known for the Andy Warhol estate. How did you get involved in that case? You know, I got involved in that case because the man that turned out to be the executive used to go to nightclubs and get drunk. And when he got drunk, people used to abuse him. They throw him out in the street. And, and I, I, I sort of went to the guy's assistance a couple of times and I, I knew all the bastards. So I said, leave this guy alone. What are you messing with him for? He didn't do nothing to you. And uh, they said, okay, Eddie, if you say so. And I said, just give him some money, put him in a taxi and send him home. If, he, if the guy owes you money, I'll come down and straighten it out. And uh, the day Warhol died, I got a phone call at home. My wife was pregnant. And the guy said, I want you to come in right now. I said, I can't come in right now. My wife is pregnant. You got to talk to my wife. And he did. And my wife said, well, you better go inside and see. So I went in and I was afraid something would happen to somebody. I mean, he had all these, you know, strange people around him. So I called up a bunch of homicide detectives who are very serious men. 
And I, I said, come down to the house and meet me. And uh, we sealed off the house. And we, I said, look, somebody tries to get in the house, hit him first and then worry about it later. What was the crux of that dispute? Of that dispute? Well, I said, and I turned out to be right, that the work of Andy Warhol was going to be a, of tremendous value and that he was an artist whose, whose value would last. And I, you know, the people, uh, some people really disagreed with that. And I, I was very critical of them because uh, one, I thought they were misstating the value to benefit themselves. And two, uh, I thought that they didn't believe in what they were doing. Now, you mentioned Bruce Cutler earlier. Uh, you had served with him on the Mafia Cops defense team in the mid-2000s. Um, how has organized crime changed over the years? I know these days it's virtually non-existent, but even up until that point. Well, at that point, it still existed, and it was fairly strong. I mean, they had very strong influence in the, some of the unions, uh, and they still had a very strong influence in the gambling and so forth. But uh, now it's, you know, it's not much anymore. You know, you can't get guys to go into it because uh, you do too much time and uh, everybody betrays everybody else. And so nobody wants to do it. How has trial work in general changed over the years, right? Less cases are going to trial. Is that because... Prosecutors are just better at doing their job. Is that because of the evolution of video forensic evidence? Um, why is trial work, or has trial work rather diminished over the past several years, even decades? Well, I think that one is that the courts are very crowded. And two, there's a tremendous incentive for defendants to uh, plead guilty because chances of them being convicted if they go to trial are very high. How has that changed over the years? Well, the chances of being convicted have greatly increased. How's federal practice different than state practice? Well, the, the government is much more sophisticated. They have a lot more um, uh, assets and things to work with, and uh, it's a more it's a more full. They have much better investigations, and they don't generally speaking have sort of jump off. Uh, cases. They don't have somebody where, you know, you, the guy commits a robbery and he runs down the street and the cops grab him. What was the toughest part of being involved in the Mafia cops trial? Oh. I mean, that was a very stressful case. I, you know, you know, really, it was a very stressful case. It helped me a lot that Bruce Cutler was my partner. And, you know, it was work. I, I worked I worked in my office. I worked all hours of day and night. And I didn't, it doesn't bother. I'm very fit. At least I was then. And, and uh, I could work very long hours without getting tired. Tell me about your relationship with Tom Wolf. I love Tom Wolf. I mean, uh, I start to cry. When I talk about him, he was the brother, big brother I never had, and the father I never had. So I admired him greatly, and I thought he was a great, great reporter. 
and he really cared about his job and he really cared about the people he covered and he really cared about the the books that he wrote. He really cared about the subjects he wrote about. Bonfire to Vanish was his best book. What do you think of your depiction in Bonfire to Vanish? Well, the, Tommy Killian is a very competent man. Uh, he's a hustler. And I am a hustler. I'm not trying to hide it. And uh, also, you one of the things that you have to realize is Tommy is everybody's friend and nobody wants to be his enemy. There's a, a, a part of a chapter where the district attorney is saying, look, if we do this, we're going to make Eddie very mad. And the other district attorneys says, don't worry about it. We'll make it up to him. You say the word hustler. There's sometimes a negative tone aimed at that word. I agree that there shouldn't always be. Um, you say it so proudly. Why? I am a hustler. That's how I got here. I came... I didn't come up from a middle-class family. I came up from a, a family with a lot of heartache and problems, and I had a hustle to get there, and I did. And uh, I think that there's a difference between a hustler who is straightforward and good to his word and somebody who's not, and I'm good to my word. I always do what I say I'm going to do. How important is hardship in success? Well, <laughs> I mean, I had hardships, so it, it, tough, it toughened me. So I, I guess that was important. I always said to myself, nothing that happens to me is as tough as what happened to me when I, as I was 15 or 16 years old. That was the toughest time in my life. Why? My father was a very bad drunk. He was very violent, and uh, he beat me. And he humiliated me. And uh, I didn't like that. And I went into a uh, line of work where I was tougher than everybody else. And I wouldn't stand for humiliation. And I didn't have to. Is that a big part of why you went into the criminal law as opposed to other fields of the law? No. I went at the well, partially. I went at the criminal law because you could be somebody quickly. You could be somebody as, as long as you won cases, nobody cared how old you were. So I started winning cases very early in my career. And, you know, everybody said, though, that's Eddie Hayes. He always wins. How'd you react to your portrayal in the Broadway show Lucky Guy? Oh, I loved it. <laughs> uh, you know, everybody kept saying, what are we going to do now? And they said, well, go get Eddie. He'll know what to do. How'd you get that reputation? I worked hard. I worked very hard. And also I represented all kinds of people, not just gangsters and, you know, people that are offensive. I represented a lot of people that were very substantial members of the community. And, you know, they, they spoke well of me. Do you get a bigger kick out of representing white collar criminals or quote unquote no, blue collar criminals? I don't I don't like white collar criminals because they steal from helpless people. Do you take you know, on those cases? Yeah, I've had some, but I don't like I don't like anybody that picks on somebody that can't defend themselves. How'd you get your role in Goodfellas? <laughs> I had represented De Niro on a number of occasions successfully and 
That was his way of saying thanks. He's a very impressive man. He's a very, very impressive man. And he's got a very good heart. I want to talk to you a bit about crime generally in New York. What is your position on what's called now the migrant crisis? I don't, I mean, it depends. Look, we're having a lot of immigrants come in about whom we know nothing. I mean, you have people coming into the country, you know nothing about them. And of course, a certain amount of them are going to turn out to be problems. I think that they ought to do something about that. But uh, I don't know if the immigrants are a source of a lot of crime. I think that the studies show that they're not. But Is bail reform necessary in New York? Jesus, I don't think so. I mean, they, you know, a lot of guys that they kept in jail deserve to be kept in jail. And I'll tell you something else, which is important to remember. They'd say, well, a lot of guys that were freed because there's no bail and they were not rearrested. Of course they weren't rearrested. You get arrested for like one out of 10 crimes you, you commit. So they could go out and mug people and attack people. And, uh, you know, nine times out of 10, they got away from it. How can we better deal with the criminal justice system's approach to mental health? Ooh. Well, increasingly, criminals have mental health issues. They used to be primarily drug-related. Now I think it's straight-out mental health. So uh, I guess you'd have to provide better health, mental health services to them. But how you would do it is, is daunting. I mean, because you'd have to do it from a er very early age. And... Uh, and in a lot of cases, they inherit it. It's a family trait, and uh, it's very difficult to to deal with. You know, policing has changed so much in New York over the decades. You've seen it up close. How has it changed? Well, first of all, the policing represents a lot more a variety of people. I mean, a lot of cops are Hispanic. In fact, the largest incoming group in the police department is Hispanics. Uh, a lot of Dominicans, they're very tough. Uh, I think it's kind of funny that people would say, oh, okay, we have a, a community, we have people that represent the community and what they got was Dominicans and Dominicans are as rough as any of them Irish and Italian guys, believe me. So uh, uh, it's also less violent though, because uh, you can't, if you shoot somebody, it's apt to be on somebody's uh, phone. And uh, it's the same thing as if you beat somebody, it's have to be on somebody's phone. So the other thing is, I don't think, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure what I say, but I think that there's a lot of people in the poorer neighborhoods that are more appreciative of the police because they're, they're, they're the victims of crime. Now, a few years ago, NBC did a piece comparing you sort of in some ways to Michael Cohen. I feel like I can't talk to anybody these days without talking about Trump. It seems like a weird comparison to make. What do you think? I think I was completely bullshit. I mean, I have nothing in common about Michael Cohen. Uh, nothing. I mean, I come from a different background. My attitude towards people is, is different. And I would never work for Trump. I think he's a piece of garbage. Why? I think he's he's 
he'll say anything to get ahead and to be powerful. And I think the the interests that he tends to favor are not socially productive. I mean, he's he represents a very small element in society. I'm not a Republican, I'll tell you the truth. I mean, a lot of Irish guys now are Republicans. I'm not a Republican. I mean, I think I'm a Catholic, and I think that uh, Catholicism teaches us to be compassionate and uh, kind, and a lot of Republicans are not. I mean, this business with, they're obsessed with homosexuals and transgender. I mean, what do they care? What do homosexuals do to you? What do transgender people do to you? So what? Your kid goes to the bathroom. There's somebody in there that's transgender. Transgender. So what? How do you think all this Trump stuff will end? I think he's got a good chance of being reelected. And, uh, you know, I don't know. The guy seems to do whatever he wants. And he gets, keeps getting indicted. I mean, he got it. he's been indicted a lot. He's got, what, three or four cases? Uh, he's going to get convicted of them. I, I think he's going to get convicted in the Georgia case, and uh, he might get convicted in the New York case because people hate him here, but I don't think much of the case. I mean, it's a case in New York where ordinarily they would not indict somebody for what he did. What do you think of that New York indictment? I don't think much of it. I just think that it's a, it's a case with a criminalized activity that was not, generally speaking, criminalized. There are now four indictments in four different cases. There are 91 counts. Do you see him going to jail in any of these cases? I, all of the cases, the only case that really strikes me is a serious case is the one in Georgia about trying to uh, influence the, the vote in Georgia. And that's a, that's a real case. Uh, but on the other hand, he, he didn't do much in there that politicians haven't done before. I mean, look, politics is a dirty business and uh, a lot of guys that do it are not saints. So, I mean, look, fact of the matter is politics is a lot cleaner now than when the Irish ran the big cities because when the Irish ran the big cities, they did, they did anything to get elected. You know, it wasn't how you voted, it was how you counted them. A lot is being thrown around in the sense of this term political prosecution, um, which is a wide ranging phrase that has really no definition. How important is it to our justice system that these cases lack even the perception of a politically motivated prosecution? I, I believe it, it makes a big difference because people lose confidence in the criminal justice system. I think some of the cases against Trump are a joke. I mean, I, I'm not a Trump fan, so let me make that clear. But uh, my my brother represented Trump, uh, and I'm and I I mean I think Michael Cohen is a piece of garbage. So what can I tell you? Well, Mr. Hayes, I thank you for your time, your effort, your insight. Very much appreciate it.